Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, we're almost there. Just one more back-to-back set this weekend, and then, yep, it's for real. Playoff time. Doesn't matter if the Nets are the one, two, three seed. Like I've been saying all season, this team is healthy. They have a real good shot to win it all. Of course, you know, that's a real big if. And we've seen all this past week, the vast array of high and low levels this team performs at when they're not whole. Four-game losing streak followed by a big-time comeback victory in Denver and then a routine overpowering effort in the last game of the road trip in Chicago. Of course, Kyrie Irving took a shot in the noggin in that one. So when James Harden finally returned from that hamstring injury that's plagued him since pretty much the All-Star break, came back in last night's 128-116 homecoming victory over San Antonio, the Nets and their fans were again deprived of seeing the big three perform together on the big stage. It's always something, right? Six starts with all three of them all season since that night versus Toronto where Kevin Durant was out, then in, and then finally out. I'm not counting that one. So, you know, where do the Nets stand now that they're on the precipice of the postseason? Well, that's what I'll be discussing on this show. And to help me with that, I'm bringing back another City Game podcast favorite, the terrific writer from the New York Daily News, Christian Winfield, will be joining me in a little bit. So sit back and relax. Should be another good show. Loads of clips from players and coach Steve Nash that I got on the Nets Zoom sessions this week. And once again, I ask that if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast on the Odyssey WFAN platform or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading this episode. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to send me some comments in the review section. So, obviously, the big story is Harden's triumphant return last night. 
gave yet another masterclass performance in basketball offense. Three rebounds shy of a triple-double in just 26 minutes. I mean, once he hit that step-back three while getting fouled and did that little shimmy, or swag dance as he called it, once that went down, you know, I had a sense he was back. A good thing, too, because, you know, the Nets have an annoying habit of taking their collective foot off the gas defensively, so the best the Spurs could do down the stretch was trade baskets. You know, Harden just makes the game look so easy, you know, for him and his teammates. It's like he has a freeze button where he can, like, survey the court and then decide the best course of action, pass or shoot. He unlocks everybody. I mean, Jeff Green was surely happy to have the beard back. All seven of Green's field goals were assisted by Harden last night. Anyway, you know, I thought Landry Shamit had a telling comment when I asked him on Tuesday about the prospect of Harden returning. Take a listen. Hey, Landry, uh, Coach Nass told us that James scrimmaged yesterday. So from your vantage, uh, how close does he look like he is to returning? Um, I mean, James always plays it, you know, kind of his pace. You know, he never really – there's not many times throughout a game where he looks like he's really opening it up and, you know, sprinting. And, you know, like that's just how he is. He, he looks like he's very fluid and smooth and makes it look effortless. So, from that perspective, I mean, he looked like he was kind of moving at the same pace. Um, obviously, if you've been out for however long, you know, there's going to be some form of rust. But, you know, he's – I mean, he's working through it. And um, to me, he looked good. So, you know, from a, just watching him move and stuff, I felt like he looked good. So, so, yeah, Shamit described Harden perfectly there. I just think that James controls the pace of the game better than anyone in the league. You know, the Nets absolutely need a bucket. He just knows how to manipulate a defense to get the right look. And one other thing about James. I mean, you can see it when the TV cameras zoom on him, either when he plays or dishing out advice when he was in street clothes or whatever passes for street clothes for him. You know, people listen to him when he barks orders. I asked uh, Nick Claxton if Harden ever got in his ear, and here's his response. Hey, Nick, uh, we all see James uh, talking to various guys, uh, trying to give his input. Does he uh, come to you with uh, suggestions? Yeah, all the time. He's he's honestly, he's an extension of the coaching staff. He real vocal about, you know, what I'm doing out there, whether it's, setting screens and me just finding space. And defensively, he's always on me about defense because, you know, like I said before, that's that's big. That's where I'm going to impact the game. So me just being as sharp as I can defensively. So that was Nets backup center Nick Claxton on the James Harden effect. Now, you know, getting back to the Nets offense, to be fair, Brooklyn did kind of turn a corner before Harden returned to action. Stepping back a week, you know, during that losing streak, you know, I thought the Nets were getting bogged down by KD and Kyrie's greatness. At least that's what I was seeing. And those two are just so fantastic at scoring. There's a tendency to be kind of lulled into over-relying on that. And all those awesome high degree of difficulty buckets. My friend calls it chocolate cake. It's so good, you always want more, but... You know, maybe it's not a good thing for the overall health of the body, you know? Anyway, you know, the two losses in Milwaukee were when that was getting noticeable to me. And I talked about that last week. 
But in that loss to Dallas last Thursday, the Mets took ISO ball to 11. Now, I tweeted out my analysis of the last nine minutes and change, but for those who didn't see it, here it is again. With the score tied at 90 all, the Nets had 21 more possessions for the rest of the game. 17 were zero pass or one pass in the shot possessions. 11 zero pass, 6 one pass. 4 were two pass in the shot possessions. Here's the other thing. Someone other than KD or Kyrie touched the ball seven times. Seven times. Joe Harris didn't get a single touch after checking back in with five minutes to go. No one else attempted a shot other than when Blake Griffin missed a corner three and Bruce Brown and Jeff Green each got fouled underneath. I'll get into the whole Nash and timeouts thing with Christian Winfield shortly, but here's what the coach said when I asked him about the chocolate cake theory. Hey, Steve. Uh, KD and Kyrie are historically great finishers at all three levels, but when you watch the film of the recent fourth quarters, do you get a sense that the team is lulled into relying too much on their ability to shoot over the tops of very good defenses? Yeah, I, I, I think that... You know the, their shots are when we get when they get shots. It's it's usually a really positive thing for our team. But how can we, as this team gets to know each other better, um, generate better looks? And that's something that I think, especially in the fourth quarter, that we have to you know work to improve. I think part of that is not having James out there. Um, you know, a traditional point guard. We'd like Kai to really think score and and to not have to manage the the, the team, so to speak. And so I think some of that is getting us to a place where everyone's in there kind of most comfortable or, or most um, effective slot. And, and so some of that, I think, in the fourth quarter is that it's new um, and new new guys, new combinations. And some of it is that, um, you know, we haven't had you know, our full complement of players. So, yeah, I'm not buying that. I mean, Nets got to Denver over the weekend, got down by 21 points in the second quarter. Maybe something clicked in, like, KD's head. You know, maybe he was getting tired of hearing about how the team desperately needed Harden back. All I know is that starting with that second half, the Nets got back to playing beautiful basketball. 18 assists in the second half. Here's Nash again afterwards. Hey, Steve, I asked you before about the fourth quarter offense. and did you Was there more of an emphasis to keep moving the ball side to side and have fewer zero pass or one pass possessions? Hmm. You know, it's uh, it's a tricky one because we want them to attack in transition. So if we get stops, we want you to we want them to attack in those before the defense is set. Having said that, um, you know we did get into a little bit more action down the stretch. We were able to get into some pick and rolls, get into some pin downs. You know, um, we were able to put pressure on them. They were starting to double Kevin, and we can get it out and swing it around and, and make some threes. So we did a little bit more, I think. Um, a little bit more of a, a diverse shot profile, and some of that was ball movement, but some of that was also just uh, getting stops and getting opportunities to push the ball and transition in the flow. Now, of course, the Nets needed more than just good offense to get out of that Denver hole. Maybe it was because the Nuggets were on a back-to-back. Maybe it was because they'd been decimated by injuries. It doesn't really matter in this oddball of a regular season. Fact remains that the Nets held Denver to 37% shooting in the second half and just 15 total points in the fourth quarter. And in order to do that, you gotta clamp down on the favorite for the league MVP award, Nikola Jokic. 
Brooklyn did just that. Because you know, although the big man did have 16 points after halftime, he needed 14 field goal attempts, of which he made just five. It was a group effort. But in this clip, Jeff Green gave due credit to the Nets' newest starting center, Blake Griffin. Hey, Jeff, uh, the center position, for a variety of reasons, has been kind of in flux. You know, DJ and Marcus, you played there. Now it seems to be Blake's turn. Uh, I just wanted to ask, what did you notice about the way he uh, defended Jokic the other day? Uh, he did. I mean, I think Blake did a great job. I mean, it's, if you look through, you know, this year and teams trying to defend Jokic, it's, it's been pretty tough. That's why he's... I believe people have him ranked as, you know, top as the MVP. So uh, I think Blake went out, did a great job. Um, you know, made him play both ends. Uh, made him made him guard. And uh, I think that's what made him tough for, for Jokic to, you know, be on the floor and give everything he had. Not a great quote there from Jeff Green, but, you know, I thought I'd get one in there. Uh, anyway, the Nets went more old school defense in Denver and Chicago, going with predominantly drop coverage on opponent pick and rolls. You rarely, if ever, saw Griffin switched out onto the Bulls all-star Zach Levine. Stayed kind of attached to Nikola Vucevic. You know, holding the notorious Nets killer to a 5-for-18 shooting night. And, you know, to be fair, Nick Claxton got in some good minutes on both Nikola's as well. But, you know, Griffin set the stage in both games. And I gotta give Nash some credit here. You know, he said all along thought Griffin's best position was the five, whereas I'm always hoping the Nets go bigger and play him at the four. But so far, Nash seems correct in his initial assessment. And as long as Blake can knock down threes to space defenses at his current 40% clip, or not much worse, Nets can live with his reduced athleticism on the defensive end. And he's so smart, and he's been going all out so what if he gets blown by on switches a few possessions a game? Now, talk about a guy who goes all out every game. How about Bruce Brown, huh? Double doubles in his last two games? I'm also going to ask Christian Winfield about this in a few minutes, but you know, Brooklyn is 27-8 and eight in games Bruce Brown starts. 27-8. and eight. That means they're just 19-16 and 16 when he doesn't start. Now, I don't have numbers on this, but you know, remember all the games this season where the Nets came out flat, maybe fell behind by double digits in the first quarter? I wonder how many of those came with Brown on the floor at the opening jump. Again, you know, I'll talk with Christian about that soon, but here's KD on Brown's value. Hi, uh, Kevin. Uh, the, the team has a ridiculously good record with Bruce Brown in the starting lineup, something like 26-8. and eight. Uh, how is is his energy something that you guys need to get with the starting unit? I think we just need his energy regardless of the starters, second unit. Um, and Bruce brings it no matter what his role is, you know, and uh, tonight it was no different. He was asked to guard Levine and uh, I feel like he made every shot tough for him. And, um, you know, to lead us in rebounding and score the way he did is a plus. And, uh, you know, so we expect that from Bruce at this point and he's shown us that all season. So, um, you know, he's somebody that we can rely on. Now, you couldn't see it, but I got to tell you that KD's eyes kind of lit up when I gave him the record when Bruce Brown starts. KD is like a basketball junkie. You know, he's always holding the stat sheet all the time when he's not playing. 
So if that little bit piqued his interest, I kind of think it's important. Anyway, how about a little reciprocal action in this next clip, where I asked Brown after last night's game about how KD might not have put up his best shooting performance, but he sure seemed like he was doing everything else at extraordinarily high levels. Hey, Bruce. Uh, Kevin is such a great scorer that all the little details that he does sometimes get overlooked. Uh, so even though he hasn't shot the ball well the last few games, can you describe some of the other things that he does on the court, like the help defense, facilitating without turning the ball over? Yeah, I mean, he does everything offensively for us and on the defensive end. Uh, they got to focus in on him. Uh, and then other people go off when they are keying on him. They double him every time. Um, so he really can't do much but facilitate us and hope we make shots. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, he, he just draws all the attention and uh, everybody else got just got to make shots to help him out. So, yeah, I kind of blew the question because uh, KD was just this game where he was sub 50%. But, you know, getting back to KD deciding to adjust his game, maybe getting a little tired of losing. Still, you know, he's been terrific on both ends. In these last three victories, he's averaging just 12 field goal attempts per game, but he's getting over seven boards a game, over seven assists a game, and 2.7 block shots per game. Maybe some of his best all-around basketball of the season. So now let's hear what Christian Winfield of the Daily News makes of all this. Here's my interview with Christian. Folks, I'm always so happy to speak to this week's special guest, the really talented young writer for the New York Daily News, Christian Winfield, is back on the Zoom with me. Christian, thanks so much for helping me out today talking Nets. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I guess uh, you could say that the uh, story of this Nets season been like one long-running revolving door gag. You know, yeah. He's back from an injury just as someone else goes out with one. The latest being James Harden's triumphant return last night just as Kyrie Irving is forced to miss that game with the facial injury. Uh, I'm going to get to Kyrie next, but first with Harden, I must say, when he started knocking down those step-back threes last night, I think he could sense that the rest of the league collectively shivered. You know, he's such a masterful offensive player. So my question to you is, you think as he goes, so go the Nets? Is he like, you know, Reggie Jackson? Oh, you're younger than me. He used to say of himself, he was the straw that stirs the Nets drink. You, you know, that's interesting. I think, number one, to your point earlier with the revolving door injuries, I think I, I might be next up with a hamstring injury at this rate because everyone's getting it. Oh, um, no. I, I think I think with the Nets, I think, you know, any one of them can be the engine on any given night. And I think I think we've both seen games where Kyrie Irving turns it up. And he's the aggressive kind of head of the snake scorer that sets the tone for the team. We've seen nights when Kevin Durant just comes up court and decides to shoot over everybody. And and just last night, we, we saw James Harden come in and kind of just give the group a different type of energy. Um, so I, I, I guess in a way, yes, you can say he's the, the, the kind of the engine that pushes the team because he does play that point guard position. And as Steve Nash has said numerous times, you know, they want Kevin and Kyrie to really – focus on scoring and let James focus on setting everybody up. Um, But I think that's also just part of the beauty of this team is that it doesn't have to be James every night. And that's one thing that James loves. It's like, it's not him every night. Sometimes 
it's just him setting guys up. Sometimes it's, it's going to be Kevin who has to do the load of the score. It's going to have to be Kyrie some nights when the double team comes to James and comes to Kevin all over the floor. And it's going to have to be all three of them collectively when the when the supporting cast is a hit in shots because we've seen what the, what happens to the Nets when they go cold. So, um, yeah, I, I do agree with you that in, in a sense, yeah, I mean, when, when you haven't had James play for, what, 20 straight games or 20 out of 21 games with a hamstring, and then he comes back and crosses up a Spurs rookie, steps back and hits a hits a step back three, and then does a little little dance. I mean, yeah, it's like yeah, this this is kind of what we're waiting for. But at the same time, he does that, and Kyrie's not out there, and that that just goes back to your, early, your earlier point, man. These guys just want to get healthy, and I think we as as media and those Nets fans out there, they just they want to see these guys healthy too. Yeah, I mean, KD, you talked about how he, he's such a great scorer. I try to get this out of Bruce Brown. I, I guess I didn't ask it the right way. But to me, you know, he's playing, as you, the playoffs get nearer and nearer, he's playing more of a well-rounded game than probably he has all season. Is that – you agree with that assessment? Yeah, you know, I think obviously not too long ago, I think it was against Denver or was it against Dallas, he shot 7-21. to 21. Um, and then, you know, another not so hot night. I think he shot 0 for 4 from 3 last night uh, against, what was that, the Spurs. So, you know, I think other than his his recent stretches of cold shooting and then, you know, dating back to that Milwaukee game where he gets those two clean looks down the stretch and misses both of them, I think those, those instances of cold shooting kind of like underscore what's been some really solid basketball from Kevin Durant. Number one, um, just on the defensive end, his ability to, to, to impact shots at the rim. We knew he was going to be able to do this just from watching him in Golden State and what he's able to do and transforming their defense there. But his length is so difficult to overcome, you know. And obviously, yes, you, you don't necessarily want to play him at the five all the time because in the playoffs you're going to have guys like Joel Embiid, Andre Drummond, you know, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, guys that are going to be down there banging down low. Um, you don't necessarily want to have him do that. But just what he's been able to do defensively, and that's not even so. We, we've seen him make some ridiculous passes, too. I mean, against the Spurs uh, last night, for example, they were sending the double They were sending the double off the touch. <laughs> as soon as he touched the ball, they were sending the second guy over to him, and boom, he's making the right pass right away. Um, and, and then on top of that, you know, just the efficiency. Um, obviously, he missed four threes last night, didn't make any. But I believe the night before that against the Bulls, was he nine for 13 or something like that? I, I mean, it's just – it's just ridiculous the level of which he, he gets to play the game. So, um, yeah, it, it is kind of fun watching him out there. It, it's definitely some some well-rounded basketball he's playing. And once he gets his shot to start falling a little bit more consistently, uh, I think like James said, it's going to be scary. Yeah, I didn't know. I haven't – I lost track earlier in the year. I was counting the number of games that he shot under 50%, and it was like one yeah. every three game, one every four games or so that he would be under 50% from the field. You know, thinking about all the difficult shots he took. But I want to it's move- ridiculous, man. It's I want ridiculous. to move on. I want to move on to Kyrie because I know you've shared your experience observing Ramadan on social media. You know, with the sure. fasting, so you probably have a better understanding of how Kyrie dealt with playing NBA basketball during this period. I mean, just looking at his stats, you know, he really came on in his last four games or so. You know, before, of course, you know, he got hit in the head, but. Sure. Like he initially struggled to adjust to the routine at times. Is that fair? Sure. Yeah. Um. Well, first things first. I know absolutely nothing about what it's like to be an NBA player, <laughs> and on top of that, to be an NBA player that's fasting, right? So the relatability factor there is negligible at best. But you know, in, in terms of fasting and how that kind of like changes your 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 day and your mindset. I mean, you really kind of have to 
forget about food for a little while and forget about water. It's not just food. You can't drink water. Um, if you have any vices, you're supposed to cut your vices out. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I was trying to like cut my video game playing out. Right. Cause I, I get into Call of Duty a lot and, and you know, I'm supposed to be focusing and centering on myself. And it's also another time where if, if you, if you follow to the T, you set an alarm uh, or you just remember, okay, well at certain times of the day you have to pray. And that's kind of like a, a, a meditative state where you're kind of centering in on yourself. So for me, it was, it was less religious, right? I'm not Muslim. I just have a very, very close friend who is, who is, and I've just been observing it with them each of the last few years. And each year, you know, you, you kind of tap in more with yourself. And I think that's kind of, I, that's probably what I'd venture that, that Kyrie got out of it. Obviously as a pro athlete, you know, you have to fuel your body and otherwise you're working at a deficit. And I think we've seen instances of him since, since Ramadan started of him just looking completely gassed out there um, him being hungry. I think one time he, he broke fast while he was doing a media availability yes. and that was comedy uh but yeah no nah, I, I mean on the on the flip side of it is we, we have examples of players who do this all the time and the pistons have two different players who are observing ramadan and his cancer does it every year um so it's not like it's he's the first guy in history but um it is a routine change he, he's a private guy i asked somebody he didn't say much and i'm not gonna press him on that you know because no. everybody has differences in, in ramadan like i'm somebody who likes to share these things right because i'm like okay well if i if i if something happened with me and and my experience can help somebody else maybe want to do it, then sure. But Kyrie's a different guy. He wants to keep things private. So I, I think we can agree that, that it was an adjustment period for him. He said as much as well. Um, but that said, it's only 30 days and it's over now. It's so it's true. I'm, I should go make a smoothie right now. I can make a smoothie now. It's just 1042 a.m. I might go do that real quick. You can do more than that. I've seen your uh, so I'm, I follow you on social media. <laughs> Chris splashed you. Uh, Anyway, I'm talking. Yes, with, sir. That is me. I'm talking with Kristen Winfield of the Daily News. So, you know, Kristen, let's have this back-to-back set this weekend. So, if you could play sure. this out for me, uh, you know, say Brooklyn beat Chicago on Saturday, and you know, Milwaukee gets by Miami. You know, as you well know, the Nets, you know, have no margin for error in the battle for the number two seed in the East. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're, you're the Nets organization. This is going to be an organizational decision. Who plays on Sunday? Harden go back-to-back? KD? Does having that week off after, you know, till Ooh. the first round, does that alter your thinking? Yeah. Or, you know, is the risk of injury so ingrained in them that, you know, if they don't finish second, you know, who cares? So what's your call? Uh, well, it's tough, right, because it's not like they're playing the Bucks in the season finale, right? You're playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. But you're playing the Cavaliers, and that got you twice earlier this year, right? And the Nets went to Cleveland earlier in the season, two games in a row, thought they were going to win easily. No, Colin Sexton comes in. Did Colin Sexton score 55 that game or 50 in the first one, something like that? And in the second game, they just get pounded in the paint. So it's not like it's going to be a walk in the park. Um, but it's gonna... also not like it's going to be the – yeah, Jared Allen's going to have something waiting for him, and so is Torian Prince. Yeah, they'd love nothing more than to <laughs> He's not, send but at the, the same Nets time. to the three seed. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I get that, but it's just I don't think it's realistic. You know, I think if you and that's why I think you can play a guy like Kevin or Kyrie or maybe you play two of the three. Maybe you don't have to play all three. I think your biggest concern right now, I think we've learned right just this night, right, that the leash on Kevin Durant is a little bit longer than we thought because he just played in the back to back for I would assume the first time all year. I'm pretty sure I'm 
in there. I'm pretty sure I'm accurate, but I can go back and double it. I'm pretty sure it's the first back-to-back he's played all year. And that's a, a massive step for him, right? So if you're going to play back-to-back now, granted, he didn't play very much tonight or the night. But they, I, I'm not sure exactly how they worked out, why Kevin was ready to go. I don't think Steve Nash gave any very clear answers on that. But if he, if they're able to get through that Bulls game without – necessarily sweating too much kind of like as they were able to get through the Bulls game before the Spurs game then I don't think there's any reason why they they wouldn't be able to play Kevin in one of those games and we have to see where Kyrie is because he gets elbowed in the face and now you don't want to have re-injury to that because he's a guy who hurt his face in the first season he got here training camp uh, orbital bone fracture right and then you got to play cautious with, with James Harden as well you don't know Obviously, this is a guy who wants to go out there and play, but if he goes out out there and plays in the second year back-to-back and he tweaks his hamstring just even a little bit, now that threatens his playoff chances. You know what I'm saying? So I, I could see it going a bunch of different ways. The next thing, they could beat the Cavs by playing none of their big three. I doubt it. I doubt that's a scenario we see. Um, can they get by just playing Kyrie and KD? Or maybe they stagger them. We've seen, we've seen Steve Nash stagger these guys, and maybe he'll have – all three of them playing in, in the Bulls game and then just one of them, or maybe he'll have just one or two of them play in the Bulls game and then all three of them against the Cowboys. I have no idea what they're going to do. Um, my initial thought was, okay, well, you should play James Harden uh, today against the Spurs, well, or yesterday against the Spurs, which they did, and then play him against the Bulls and then sit him uh, against the Cavaliers after that because you don't want to play him in a back-to-back. Um, but at the same time, you want to get as many reps with James Harden on the floor next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as you can, and you're not going to hit 10, right? Because they're already at, they're at six and a half now. There's only two games left in the season. So at most you're going to get what nine games being generous with your three best players on the floor. Um, and it's tough, but I think that's just the way the season's gone. They're going to have to figure it out. Um, I think they're just going to have to eat it. I think somebody's not going to play in that second half of back to back because you just can't risk somebody getting hurt and this season whenever someone's had a chance to get hurt it seems like they've gotten so you got to play it you got to play it cautious interesting i think my own speculation is that kd decides when he plays and when he doesn't play because nash has always said that i don't want him playing any back-to-backs and he's played like two already yeah um it's tough. Has he played two? Did he play one before this one? That just yeah, I think by? I think one of them was like the Knicks was the second half. It was like it, it wasn't a travel back to back like this one was. Oh, that's interesting. See, these these early morning radio sessions got me on mind, bouncing all over the <laughs> well, place. It's I'll, not I'll, even that early. So I need to go double check that. Now. All right, now I'm. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to move on from the big three. Let's talk about the other guys is, you know, like the Will Ferrell movie. So to me, among those, you know, the most fascinating decision Nash has got to make with regard to his rotation is what to do with Bruce Brown. I mean, I, I just talked about this before you came on, but you know, this team is ridiculous 27 and eight when he starts, which means they're 19 and 16 when he doesn't. You know, only Harden has a winning percentage discrepancy like that among all the other Nets. And I I just have this sense that most of the games where Brooklyn has come out flat and fallen behind like double digits, you know, those were the games Brown came off the bench. Do you think the Nets need Brown to set the dirty work example in the playoffs, even if it comes at the expense of someone like Joe Harris? Um, that's a good question. I don't think it should come at the expense of someone like Joe Harris because at the end of the day, you're trading three for two 
Um, and I, I do think you do want to have as many floor spaces on the floor at the same time. Um, that being said, um, you got to play Bruce Brown and you got to play him about 15 to 20 minutes a game um, because he, like you said, he does set that tone and, and, and there's not very many players on the roster who, who do what I don't think there's anybody else on the roster who's capable of doing what Bruce Brown does except for maybe, maybe Blake Griffin. And that's not really a comparison. It's just more so, okay, he's a guy who can set screens, roll, finish at the rim, and then make that pass. But I think Bruce is more of a dynamic finisher. I mean, I'm not finisher, I'm a more dynamic defender. Um, so it, it, it is interesting. But at the same time, you know, when you have Harry and James on the floor and you put Bruce Brown on there, and then obviously you're probably going to have either – Blake or or Claxton or or Jeff Green, it, it, it becomes interesting. And I think that might be the lineup right there. If you have Jeff Green out there who can play that five, and then you have Bruce Brown who can kind of play that utility defender role. And then I, we've seen him hit some threes here and there, but we, we know his his bread and butter is setting that screen, rolling or slipping, getting the ball, putting the floater up, dunking at the rim or, or kicking that pass out. Um, I, I think it's it's a little bit tough because teams are going to scheme against that, right? Like this is not – it's no longer going to be, okay, well, we're going to game plan against the big three because that's all we've got to worry about. In a way, yes, that's what you've got to worry about, but you've got teams that are game planning against the same team every single night, and I guarantee you the scout report is going to say, let Bruce Brown shoot, and I don't believe that he's going to have a four or five three-point night in him. Like, I, I just don't see that in well, the playoffs. Yeah. I hope I'm proving wrong. Well, the other, but, side, the other side of that is, you know, if you're starting uh, Harden, Irving, Durant, and Griffin, I mean, if Harden's driving, are you really going to slough off Kyrie Irving, um, you know, to help nope. on Harden drive? I mean, nope. these guys, uh, I, f- I forget who told me this, they're, they're floor spacers unto themselves. Not only are they you know, yeah. dynamic playmakers for themselves and others, you know, you can't leave Kevin Durant, you know, if he's sitting, if he's sitting in the corner. So if Bruce Brown is yeah. you know, setting a screen, rolling, yeah, where you have to keep someone at least nearby, you know, they're not helping off Durant or Irving in the opposite corners or, or Griffin, you know. Even You're helping off Blake Griffin. You're probably going to help off Blake Griffin in that scenario. Well, depending on where he is, right? Because if he hits that cut off the short roll, then Bruce Brown. And, and that's part of how great this Nets offense can be, just because you've got a guy like Bruce who can do so many different things out there. But I, I think that that gets jammed up in a series where teams know what's coming. Team, whoever the first round series is going to be against, once Bruce Brown comes in the game, they're going to know what's up. They, they, they do the same thing with Bruce Brown every game. He sets screens, he rolls, and every team lets it lets it happen because every team is so concerned with everybody else on the floor. That's going to be the case somewhat, but that's that's going to be less of the case in the playoffs because these guys are going to know, okay, Bruce Brown's coming in, watch out for that roll, watch out for the floater, uh, let him shoot. Make them that. I think that's where we're going to see a steady dose of. We're going to see a steady dose, a dose of teams being like, okay, well, we might not be able to stop Kevin. We we might not be able to stop Kyrie, but we'll be damned if all three are going to have thirty point games in one night, and we'll be damned if Bruce Brown, if anybody else beats us. Right? We're going to make Bruce Brown beat us. We're going to make Blake Griffin beat us, and that's why I think you have to put a guy like Joe Harris on the floor because you can't leave Joe Harris open anywhere. Right? That's automatic three points. That's as as 
given of a three-pointer as you can have in this league. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Green in a corner three. You really don't want to leave him open. I think I read – I don't – actually, I, don't, I might be thinking about P.J. Tucker, but I'm pretty sure Jeff Green is shooting a ridiculous clip from the corner as well. Um, and that's why I think that's their money lineup right there. KD, Kyrie, Joe, Jeff, and KD. You got those five on the floor. Good luck, right? Because Jeff is going to try. Jeff can hold his own. Where's hard? With guys. That, Where's hard? That's what I said, uh, so, hold on, let's see. I said KD, Kyrie, Joe, Jeff, and James. Oh, okay. Right? That's your big five. That's your All five. Right. Man. Yeah, I was like, hold on, no, I, I know. I said, yeah, no, that's it. That's I think that's your your best five man lineup right now. That, that, that lineup won't defend anybody. That lineup will not defend anybody. Wait. Who are we fooling? Who are we? Okay, we got to stop talking defend defend. Who, who are we fooling? Right. The Nets are not going. To, the Nets are going to play defense. Just they're going to try to play defense, but they're going to win these games by trying to score 150 points. Okay. Right? You, you have these three guys. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I love, I love this idea of okay, yes, these guys are going to miraculously come into and become a Tom Thibodeau defense because oh, we said so. No, in the playoffs, you resort back to your habits. Their habits are going to be defensive breakdowns and trying to shoot the lights out. I'm not expecting this team to be a clamp down team in the playoffs. No, it's not going to happen. But they can outgun guys and they can string together enough stops to where they can sustain it. So that's what I want to see. I, I think believing that this Nets team is going to be anything more than slightly below average defensively in the playoffs is, is selling yourself short because these guys know what's up. These teams know what's going to happen. These teams are game played. That's why I'm really interested to see how this first round series is going to go because that first round is going to be much more of a chess match for whoever the Nets are matched up against than the Nets themselves. The Nets can go out there and just say, okay, KD, Kyrie, James, go play ball and win this series. Another team is going to say, okay, well, let's exploit this Nets defense for what it really is, subpar. And I think that's what's going to get exposed in the playoffs. But I also think when you got three of the best scorers in NBA history, you can afford to give up some of those points. All right. I'll leave it at that. I'll give you that last word there. So I, now, now I got to compliment you because, you know, I have all the terrific reporters on the Nets beat. I got to say, you're the guy who beats me to the punch on questions I want to answer on these Nets Zoom calls all the time. You know, I remember I had one set up on whether Nash ever mixed it up with the guys in practices, but you're always ahead of me in the Nets PR pecking man, order. Man, great minds think alike, man. So you, great minds think alike. You got to run with that really awesome stuff. And more recently, you know, I mean, you went after Nash on his failure to call timeouts at appropriate moments. <laughs> and you even asked some players, too, about it. So, you know, expert yeah. journalism from you, give you all the credit. My question to you, though, now, was, were you satisfied with their answers? Um, I think that these players really like Steve Nash, and it's happened any time I ask even a semi, I won't call it accusatory question, but anything that questions any decision that Steve Nash makes, these guys go to bat for them. And in, in, in their defense, they also did it for Jacques Vaughn. Earlier this season, I was asking, you know, was Jacques Vaughn still in charge of the defense? And this is when the defense was absolutely terrible. Um, and, and the guys go, hey, you know, yeah, but it's not on him. It's all, yeah, I just wanted to know if it, if it was still his control or if it was somebody else who was leading. And they were like, oh, no, it's not. We're not going to make this about Jacques. Uh, I say all that to say these guys are very defensive of their coaches, right? And, and as you should be. But, I mean, some of the blunders that Steve Nash have had, and, and, and to his credit, he, he owned up to it, right? When I asked him that question, what did he say? He said, hey, you know, maybe I should have called a timeout. That's a big stretch to not call a timeout. I think it was a 14-3 swing that, that we saw when they just blew that game. It, it, was, it was awful. I had to ask him about that. 
Um, so it, it's tough. I mean, we knew this was going to happen, right? When 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 Sean Marks hired Steve Nash, who has never been a head coach or never been a coach before. Yes, we all understand one of the greatest point guards of all time, uh, Hall of Fame, you know, accolades out the door. I get it, right? Great basketball mind. But it's going to take time to translate over to a new job. And sometimes it doesn't work, right? Phil Jackson was probably one of the best, if not the best, one of the best head coaches of all time, was the worst GM that I've ever witnessed <laughs> in my years of living after what he did in New York, right? And mm-hmm. and they, and we have examples a little bit, so I'm not going to run down the mill. We, we know that there are just situations where people have, yeah, it's just like anything else. You have a learning curve. And, and Steve Nash has had that learning curve. And I think, you know, now we're seeing him call timeouts. With, he'll have the red face where he's screaming for a timeout down the stretch. You, you love it. Um, but his explanation to me was, hey, you know, kind of like Phil Jackson. He wants guys to kind of just figure their ways out um, throughout the course of a game. Um, and I guess his, his phrase is problem solve, right? He wants guys to problem solve for themselves and, and not have to rely on, on him to call a timeout uh, when, when he feels like they can just figure it out. And, and I'm all for that, you know, but not at the cost of playoff seeding, right? Not at the cost of, okay, losing games where had he called timeouts earlier this season, and this is where it, what it boils down to, had he called those timeouts earlier in the season, maybe now they're not tied with the Bucks. Maybe they're a game and a half up on the Bucks instead of fighting for their playoff, fighting for the number two seed over them right now, you know? So that's kind of where, where I struck that balance. But at the same time, you – you got to defer to the guy who's a Hall of Famer, right? Like, he obviously knows more about basketball than I'll know in a thousand lifetimes, right? This guy's been there, done it. He's been the one who's had to call timeouts in the heat of the battle. He's played for coaches who called that timeout or who haven't called that timeout. And um, I asked Blake Griffin about it, and he goes, yeah, you know, I remember playing against Phil Jackson my rookie year, and we were going on a run with the Clippers, and he just sat there stone-faced and didn't call a timeout. And he said, I, I believe he said the Lakers came back and beat them. And that's kind of how it goes. You, 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 you kind of see how the team can start building their trust in each other when you don't have to just like, when you just let them go out there and figure it out on themselves. So I, I'm kind of a fan of it as long as it doesn't lead to losses. And I think earlier in the yeah. season, he was talking about, hey, we're prioritizing building and problem solving over these losses. But now it's time to call that timeout. All right. I'm talking with Christian Ridfield of the Daily News. So, Christian. I got one more before I let you go. Simple one. You know, since, since we're at the precipice of the playoffs, I think it's fair for me to start asking all you guys your predictions. Obviously, no one has a crystal ball when it comes to players' health. But from what you see now, yeah. what you see now, where does this team end up? Man, it's tough because I, I feel like we haven't really seen this team at all. Right. Like we've seen so many different variations and renditions of this team, but we have not seen a fully healthy Nets team. I don't think all year, you know, I mean, obviously, yeah, they played six plus games. I, I don't count that game that I mean, okay, we'll call it seven. Yeah. Kevin Durant came off the bench I don't and then count. got subbed out due to COVID, but he still played 18 don't minutes count. or so. We'll call don't it seven games. Game. He they play, they call, cool. Game. Well, when I write, I call it six and a half. So we're going to call it six and a half. They played six and a half games together. That's not enough. But that's also not enough for anybody else across the league to get a read on what this team wants to do with James. With like, They can have an idea, right? But on the flip side, this team barely knows what it wants to do because they don't have any practice time, right? They've been saying all, all year, hey, our games are like our practice, so we're just figuring it out on the fly. And I think that's going to be an issue when you start running into teams like 
Milwaukee, who've been together for a while. If Jalen Brown didn't get hurt, I thought the Celtics were going to give them some trouble just because they have that continuity, even though I didn't think it was going to be serious. So maybe five or six at most. Um, I think a team like the Sixers, who've been together for a while and are now playing even better because they have different players. They have a new coach, and then Doc Rivers has lit a fire under them, and they have those shooters and those complimentary pieces. I like that for them as well. Um, I think even a team like the Knicks, a team that's going to come out and outwork them, is going to give them problems. Imagine if, the, if imagine a, a seven-game series and it ends up in Brooklyn and you've got Knicks Nets and, and Tom Thibodeau's Knicks are, are grinding on every possession. I don't like the Nets' chances in that game because they're going to get outworked. They're going to start relying on their star power, and we've seen them go cold at different stretches. So I think those are areas that this team can probably struggle with in these playoffs, just not having the continuity, not having really the, the defensive lock in this. That's not a word, but we're going to use it. And just not having what Steve Nash likes to call that, that common history of being together for a while. Um, but at the end of the day, and, and I, I just keep thinking back to this, if you have a chance to have the three best players, or let's put it this way, you have a chance to have three of the five best players on the floor at any given moment, right? And I think no matter who you stack them up against any team, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving will probably be the three out of the five best players, right? Because even against the Lakers, that's LeBron and AD. Even if you have LeBron and AD one and two, that's still KD, Kyrie, and James three, four, and five. I'm not sure there's another team that can match up with that star power. And this is a star-driven league. So I, I say all that to say I think it's going to be tough for them to get to the NBA Finals. I don't think it'll be an easy road by any stress, but I think they're going to make it there because I'm not sure any team really has the, the, the method to slow three hall of famers down on the same team. So um, I think they get to the NBA finals. I'm not sure if they can beat a LeBron James led team, but if they're healthy, um, I, I don't see why they can't. So if you give me my prediction, man, I'll, I'll say, I'll just go and say it this way. Nets win over the Lakers in the finals, um, seven games, Kevin Durant hits a game winner. <laughs> uh, in game seven. Um, if they don't make it to the NBA finals, it's because they got bounced by the Sixers in the conference finals. <laughs> All right, that's fair. And, you know, I don't disagree with you too much on that. And Christian Winfield, New York Daily News, thank you so much for giving me some time today to talk Nets basketball. Folks, check out Christian's fine writing on the Daily News site and definitely follow him on Twitter at Chris Splashed. You don't have to be a Nets junkie. It's also worth your time if you're a food junkie, you know, especially these are facts. Healthier food junkie, not my cup of tea, but <laughs> so <laughs> Christian, thanks again. Oh, I'll see you back at uh, Barclays Center real soon. So that was Christian Winfield of the Daily News, folks. Always delivers the goods. Thank you, Christian. Even though we disagreed on the principle that the Nets can just outscore teams every playoff series. Yes, I mean, their talent gives them a significant margin of error on the defensive end. But to say that they can get away with playing lousy defense, I don't think that'll work against the Milwaukee's and Phillies of the NBA. Those teams are going to get stops, yes, even against the Nets. So we'll see soon where the Nets will have to go through both those teams or just one. As I'm wrapping this up, I just learned that the Nets will have an afternoon tilt on Saturday against the Bulls, but the Cavs game will be played at 7 p.m. on Sunday. Don't know if that will impact any back-to-back -back plans should that be necessary to secure the two-seed, but might be of some help. You know, with the extra hours. Who knows? 
Also, there's a new report from Shlomo Sprung of Forbes, who spoke to Spencer Dinwiddie as he's been rehabbing his ACL injury. Apparently, Spencer thinks he can actually be clear to play sometime in June. If the Nets, you know, reach the conference finals, that is. And I can definitely see him giving this team a jolt, you know, if anyone's wearing down by then. But if not, well, he said he's definitely opting out afterwards. So, then again, who knows if we've seen the last of him in a Nets uniform. But first things first, I'm definitely looking forward to the end of this grind of a regular season this weekend. But thanks again to Christian Winfield of the Daily News for his great spot. Didn't expect anything less from him. I'll be back sometime next week to discuss round one of the playoffs. Again, if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to this podcast on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. Also, please feel free to also post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.